The year was 1903, and the future was bright for a young boy named William Borden. William Borden was a bright young high school graduate from Chicago. William Borden was an unusual teenager because he was also a millionaire. He was the heir of the Borden dairy fortune, and the world was his to discover. That's exactly what he did. After high school graduation, he traveled the world. He had the means, his family had the means for him to do that, so he traveled the world to discover what was out there. He was excited about all that he was seeing and all that he was experiencing, but everywhere that William Borden went, he was touched by the needs that he saw, the needs he saw across the world. And in a letter to his parents, he announced his intentions that he would one day devote his life to missionary service giving up the pleasures and the privileges of being William Borden. After he wrote that letter to his parents, he opened his Bible, and in the front of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. He recognized what that letter signified. He recognized that he was turning his back on his family's fortune. He recognized that he was dedicating his life to a greater cause. And as he surrendered the rights and privileges of being William Borden in order to take the gospel to the world, he wrote in his front of his Bible, no reserves. William, once he got back to the States, went to Princeton Seminary. He got a degree in two years. He was devoted and dedicated to this task. Then, he bought a one-way ticket to Egypt. His plan was eventually to go to China to take the gospel to the Muslims in China. But he was stopping in Egypt in order to learn the Arabic language. So leaving friends and family behind, leaving friends, family, and fortune behind, he set sail across the Atlantic. On the way across the Atlantic, one morning he opened his Bible again, and he, in the front of his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreats. William arrived in Cairo, full of anticipation, full of excitement, ready for the challenge before him. And with customary zeal, he just immersed himself in the culture, in the language, in the task at hand. But just four months, say it again, just four months after arriving in Cairo, he was stricken with spinal meningitis. And not long after that, he died at the age of 25. In terms of human logic, you would say his death was tragic. It it was a tragic death of a promising young man. You would say his death was such a waste. But that was not William's perspective. You see, during his last fleeting days, in labored handwriting, he picked up his Bible one more time, and in the front of his Bible, he wrote two final words. No regrets. The life and legacy of William Borden could be summed up in those six words. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Though just a young man, William Borden was known for living his life completely dedicated to his Savior. He didn't live a long life, but he lived a full life. I was thinking this week, what would we write in the front of our Bible if we were to live a full life. 
You might want to use the three, three sentences that, or three phrases that he did, but maybe you come up with your own. What, what would you write in the front of your Bible to summarize the full life that you wanted to live? And then I, it calls me to think about, what about our church family? What could we be known for? What is it that we would say, this is what we're going to give ourselves to. This is, this is what we want to surrender our lives to. What would we, write, would we write collectively in our Bibles, if you will, that we wanted to be known for and we wanted to focus on? In other words, how could you summarize the life and legacy of Mount Airy Baptist Church? What would we write if we were to summarize the life and legacy of Mount Airy Baptist Church? There's two statements that came to mind. I'm going to write them in the front of my Bible. I'm going to encourage you to write them in the front of your Bible. I'm going to encourage you to, let's make this our, our goal. Together, let's live a full life doing these two things. Number one, giving generously to God's work. Number two, sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. What if you wrote that in the front of your Bible and you really tried to live that out? Giving generously to God's work. Sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. I want to talk to you today about this concept of generosity and the gospel. You need to understand that compassion for the lost and generosity were hallmarks of the early church. And I want to show you that in the text today. Would you have your Bibles, have your phone or whatever you have there? Would you open God's Word or turn on your your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I know I read chapter 9 a moment ago, and we're going to get there. But in order to give you the whole context, we need to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I'm going to read the text just a little bit differently today, and I'm going to ask for your participation in a certain way. So listen carefully. I know not everybody has the NIV. That's what I have That's what I'm preaching from. So if you have the NIV, as you're following along, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look for the words generous or generosity. And as I'm reading through the text, when we come to the word generous or generosity, I want you to say those words out loud. Okay? So let's just practice. For example, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And now, brothers, we want you to know that the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich. You got it. All right, great. That's what we're going to do through the whole text. Now, stay with me because we're going to read a lot of verses, and those words, generous and generosity, are going to be scattered throughout the text. So let's start over. Just join in when you see those words. Verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, for sake of time, skip down to chapter 9, verse 1. 
Same thing, follow along, join me as I read. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm was stirred most, has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a, not as one grudgingly given. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows will also reap Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Skip down to verse 11. You'll be made rich in every way, so that you can be on every occasion, and through us your will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you And read verse 15 with me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, let me put you at ease. I'm not taking another offering today. My intention is not to try to get money from you today. But I am trying to explain what we're doing here today. Why we are doing it. And I am trying to maybe help you decide that you too could live a generous life. In fact, I want to show you today how you can live a generous life. Now, I really need to explain the story behind this text because it really is kind of a fascinating story behind chapters 8 and 9. On his third missionary journey, Paul made it his habit, wherever he went around the Gentile Mediterranean world, wherever he went, Paul made it his habit to take a collection of money for the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. This was the mother church, if you will. It was the original church, the church in Jerusalem. It was the first church, and it was also a struggling church. You see, the issue was this. Because the church in Jerusalem was primarily Jewish believers, those who lived in Jerusalem as believers in the Messiah, as believers in Jesus, those new Christians had it rough in life. Because the Jews in that community did not like the fact that they had turned away from Judaism in order to be followers of Jesus. So they made it rough on them financially. It probably was hard for them to find work. It was hard for them to conduct their business. They struggled. They were a group of poor people. The the mother church, the first church in Jerusalem was not a rich church. They struggled financially. They struggled just to meet their needs. And so Paul 
as he traveled on his missionary journeys, going from Gentile city to Gentile city to Gentile city, he would explain to them the responsibility that they had to support the Christians back in Jerusalem. After all, you Gentiles would not have the, the gospel were it not for these Jews, these Jewish Christians taking the gospel. And so Paul would take a collection. And as he told these Gentile believers about the need at the first church, the mother church in Jerusalem. Now, when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you need to understand that Paul was in Macedonia writing to the church at Corinth. Now, hear that again. Paul was in Macedonia writing to the church in Corinth, all right? And he's telling them about the churches. He's telling the church in Corinth about the churches in Macedonia and how they have given to this need in Jerusalem. Church like in Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Berea. Paul is using these Macedonians as an example. Now don't miss this because it'll be important when we get to chapter 9. He's using the churches of Macedonia as an example of generosity. That these Gentile churches throughout Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, churches like that, are giving to meet a need in Jerusalem. So Paul is using their example to encourage the church in Corinth to do likewise. That's what he's talking about in the first Verses of chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Uh, let's just read part of that real quickly one more time. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond your ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. That, that phrase, service to the saints, means the offering for the Jerusalem Christians. Now, here's the interesting thing. Go to chapter 5 and look what Paul does. It kind of made me chuckle when, when I read it and realized what, what he was doing here. In chapter 5, I'm not, did I say chapter 5? Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Let me give you the context before we read chapter 9. Here's what happened. Apparently, the, the Christians in Corinth had planned to give to this offering. In fact, about a year before this, they had started the collection. But for some reason, this collection was stopped. They didn't continue gathering the money. We're not exactly sure why, why, but it is speculated that it was probably because of problems in the church in Corinth. If you know anything about the church of Corinth, they, they were a church full of problems. And it's more than likely that problems in the church, disunity in the church, led them to forget about this offering for the needs of the people in Jerusalem. And by the way, can I just parenthetically put in something here? One of the signs of a healthy church is, is the church is generous in their giving. And one of the signs of a church that is in trouble is that they no longer are generous. They turn inward. They're focused on themselves. And apparently that was happening in the church at Corinth. The offering that they started a year ago, they, they hadn't finished. And so that, let me show you some verses in chapter 8 before we get to chapter 9. At verse 6. He said, So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Look at verse 10. And here is my advice. Here's what he says. Here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, 
you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to the needs. So Paul is saying, listen, you need that offering you started a year ago and then you had problems in the church and you forgot about it? Get back to that. Collect it because I'm coming soon to your city, coming soon to your church, and when I come, make sure the offering is ready. And so, now we fast forward to chapter 9 and you've got the context to understand what Paul does here. Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. This is genius. Verses 1 and 2. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. He's writing to the Corinthians. I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to who? To the Macedonians. Telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Do you see what Paul did here? In chapter 8, he's in Macedonia, and he's telling them how the Corinthians are giving, and they started this offering a year ago, and buddy, you ought to give like the Corinthians. That's chapter 8. In chapter 9, he's writing to church at Corinth, he said, can I tell you about what the Macedonians did? You need to give like the Macedonians. They're, they're, they're just giving like crazy, and they can't afford to give. So, he's, is, is he trying to manipulate the situation? No. I think he genuinely is bragging on both groups. I think he has a pastor's heart, and when he was in Macedonia, he was bragging about, in a good way, about look at what God's doing at the church at Corinth. And when he was writing the church at Corinth, he said, look at what God did in the churches of Macedonia. And encouraged them, encouraged them, encouraging them all to give. But, now this is the part that made me, made me chuckle. I think Paul got to the point where he was worried that maybe he oversold it. And I mean, this comes straight out of the text. Look what he says, chapter 9. Look at what he says, verse 3, 4, and 5. He says, But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Translation. Come on, guys, don't disappoint me. Don't let me down. Don't embarrass me. I told the people back in Macedonia how much you're going to give and how willingly you gave. And so I'm sending somebody, I'm sending Titus to help you make sure you get all that together. And so then he goes on to say, uh, verse 4, For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, that is, you don't have the offering collected, not to say anything about you, it would be ashamed of having been would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And so Paul says, listen, I I don't want this to be embarrassing for you. I don't want it to be embarrassing for me. I bragged to the Macedonians about how you've started this offering. So finish the offering so that when I come, I'll probably have some Macedonians with me, and it's not going to be an embarrassing situation. Then he says, verse 6, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Some have called this the echo principle. You know, Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given back to you. I believe that's true. But unfortunately, some of these verses have been perverted by those who preach the prosperity gospel. 
That's not what these verses are talking about. These verses are not talking about if you plant your seed in this ministry, God will give back to you fourfold. And Listen, why don't they just plant their seed in their ministry? Just a thought. All right, stick to the notes, Keith. You're going to get in trouble. (laughs) Paul says in verse 7 and 8 something very important. He says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what, church? And God is able. Let me give you a little Greek lesson real quick. In the Greek language, sometimes if you wanted to really emphasize a word, you change the order. You can do that in Greek. Can't do that very well in English. But literally in the Greek text, here's the first word of verse 8. The first word in verse 8 is able. Able is God. That's what Paul was wanting people to understand. Yes, you may give generously. Yes, you may open your hand and give what you really don't have. But God is able. Able is God to give back to you what you have given. God will supply the generous giver with enough to meet his needs or her needs as well as enough to meet the needs of people he's giving to. Now, here's where I'm getting with all this. Verses 11 through 15, I want you to notice the end result of this kind of generosity. Verses 11 through 15. Look at verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity, watch this, through us, your generosity will result in people saying, look at how much they gave. Is that what your text says? No. It says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love that. And through us, look up here at all these boxes. Look, up, look at all these Samaritan's purse boxes. I'm going to tell you how many they are after, when we get to the end. But through us, your generosity is going to result in people giving thanks to God. That's what he's talking about here. He emphasizes this again in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He tells us a second time. If you were to take the time to open your bulletin, you see those five mission partners and what we're giving towards and, and the needs that will be met. You know what's going to be the end result of us sending them our tithes and offerings this week? You know the end result of that? The end result is going to be this. Needs will be met, yes, but number two, it's going to result in people giving thanks to God. Does that bless anybody? The people, when... when when it's handed to them and they recognize this was a need that, was, that we had, that God met, they're not going to say necessarily, thank you, Mount Airy. They may say that, but deep in their heart, they're going to say, thank you, God. And some people won't even know that Mount Airy had a part in it, and they're just going to know that their need has been met. The people in the community are going to be reached, and it's going to result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, look what he says again. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Men will praise God because of your confession of the gospel and for your generosity. That's why I'm calling this message generosity and the gospel because those two things always go together. Generosity and the gospel go together. 
And it says this will result, this generosity tied to the presentation of the gospel will result in people giving praise to God. I want to get in on something like that. I want to give my life to something like that. And then he says in verse 14, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has provided. Can I say something to you? Listen to me. Open the balcony down here on the lower floor. Choir, are you still with me? All right. Can I say something to you? Generosity is not natural. It is supernatural. That's the one thing I want you to get today. That's my one point of my message. Generosity is not natural. You don't... Listen, you have to teach your kids to share because their tendency is to keep what they have. Their tendency is not to say, hey, do you need some more? Do you need some more? Would you like some more? No. What do your kids say? Mine. So you teach your kids to share because generosity is not natural. You see, a natural question would be, an honest natural question would be, why are we giving so much money away today? Why so much money? There's a lot of money going out the door today. Why are we giving so much of that away? And here's my message to you. Because we serve a God who has been generous with us. You've heard people say you can never outgive God. I'm going to tell you something. You can't even come close to outgiving God. I want you to imagine for a moment what if the life and legacy of our church could be summed up in two phrases. Giving generously to God's work. Sharing the gospel with those far from God. What if we wrote that in the front of our Bibles and said, you know what, this is just our compass. This is who we are. This is what we're going to be about. Giving generously to the work of God. And sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. That's the kind of church I want to lead. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. But more important, listen, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a man who has an open hand and an open heart. I want to be a man who gives generously to the work of God. And I share the gospel with those who are far from God. If you and I were to go to Cairo today, we would find a graveyard dedicated to American missionaries. In that graveyard, we would find a tombstone for William Borden. The man who rejected a life of ease to take the gospel to the Muslims. The man who surrendered the rights and privileges of being William Borden to take the gospel to those far from God. And the inscription inscription on his tombstone reads this way. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I hope that one day, somebody in our community or somebody in another part of the United States or somebody on the other side of the world, I hope that one day, somebody will look at the folks at Mount Airy and say, Apart from, apart from faith in Christ, 
There is no other explanation for those people. Because I have seen how generous they are with what they have. And I've seen how dedicated they are to taking the gospel who are far from God. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no other explanation for what you see here today. It's not because we're so good. It's not because we're so special. It's because of what God has done and is doing in our lives. I want to close with a final word about generosity. Two things I want to tell you, the final words about generosity. First of all, you need to make sure you understand God is the first giver. Chapter 9, verse 15. Look how Paul writes this. Chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You see, you need to remember that God first gave His Son. And anything we give is simply a response of gratitude to what He's already given us. God is always the first giver. The second thing you need to know is this. God is always the biggest giver. Look in chapter 8, verse 9. Go back to chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. The sacrifice of Jesus did not begin on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus didn't even begin at His birth in Bethlehem. The sacrifice of Jesus began in heaven when He temporarily laid aside His glory and the privileges of being God and He came to earth in human flesh so that He could die for your sins. God is the biggest giver of all. You will never outgive God. But we should want to live like Him. Our whole faith is built on the generosity of God. Here's how the Bible says it. For by grace have you been saved through faith. You know what grace is? God giving us what we don't deserve. You could translate it this way. For by God's generous grace, by God's generosity, we have been saved. Our whole faith is built on the generosity, or is, is, is because of the generosity of God. Or another verse that you learned when you were little. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God is the first giver. God is the biggest giver. And if we are His people, we should follow His example of generosity. And why don't you bow your heads. We're going to have a different ending to the service today. I'm just going to have you bow your head for a moment. I'm going to ask you to respond to the gospel that you've just been presented. For some of you, you don't know Christ as your Savior and you came for various reasons. Whether you're sitting in the balcony or the lower floor, you came and you've heard about this God who is generous. And the Bible says you're saved by faith, by God's grace. Those two things, your faith and God's grace. 
your faith is you reaching out to God, but God's grace is Him reaching out to you. And God in His generosity reached out to you. And so right there where you are today, in the balcony of the lower floor or in the choir behind me, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. As He reaches down in grace, you can reach up by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe you died on the cross for my sin, and today... I want to thank you and praise you for your generosity and I step across the line of belief. Today I believe in Jesus. I'm claiming Him as my Savior. You can do that right there, right now. I want you to pray. Every head bowed. Father, I pray you'd hear our prayers as we give our hearts to you. As we, some in this audience may cross over from death to life. Some in this audience may for the very first time put their faith in you. I'm going to give you just a moment just to voice that prayer to God. You're not going to have to come up to me. Just voice that prayer to God. You put your faith in Christ today. Every head still bowed. I want to ask you that if you have put your faith in Christ just now, if you have... Trust in Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything uncomfortable. I would just like to be able to know and to celebrate with you. Just by raising your hand. Pastor, today I pray to receive Christ. That's all I'm asking you to do. Anybody? Thank you. I see that hand in the back. Anybody else? Today I'm trusting Christ. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody? Balcony? Behind me? Anywhere? Any others? Thank you. I see that one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Every head still bowed. Christian, I want to say a word to you. Maybe you're like me and you want to be known as a person who has an open hand and an open heart. And either right now or later today, you, not, you might want to write in the front of your Bible those two phrases. Give generously to God's Word. Share the gospel who are far from God. Let that be your goal in life. Let that be your compass. You're going to you do a lot of things in life, but those two things are going to be priorities with you. Give generously to God's work. Share the gospel with those far from God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that we would honor you and glorify you in all that we do and all that we give. And in Jesus' name, we all say, Amen.